You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderlin, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. It's great to be with you guys, and uh, I imagine you enjoy the Christmas season. I do, I sure do with my family, and we went out. Our tradition, I guess, has been for years to get a Christmas tree the I guess the Saturday after Thanksgiving we go, and so that's always a, a lot of lot of fun. A lot of fun uh, work, though, right? Christmas is work, so uh, that's why I've always been partial Thanksgiving. Like, I don't cook, so it's no work for me. I just clean. I clean. I eat and I clean up. That's that's kind of the the deal. I you know the boy is like, okay, we gotta go in and clean up. Anyway, so glad you guys are here this morning, and it's great to see you. And as Dan shared earlier, we have our annual meeting after our service, and I thought this year might be a little. Might I want to do things a little bit different? So we're going to take a little bit of a break from John. In fact, to be honest with you, we're going to take a little bit of a longer break. By the time we're done with the season, we're not going to be back in John till January sometime um, with the holidays and whatnot, but uh, I want to go to Acts chapter 15 this morning. I want to talk about uh, what it means for the church to be taking care of business, taking care of the church's business. And uh, we're going to see that what we do in just a little bit after our service is done and as we gather together to make decisions as a church, this is not the, we don't, we don't do this because New York State requires it. We don't do this because uh, some, you know, legislature in in Washington, D.C. requires it. We do it because the Bible demonstrates that churches should come together and they should make the big decisions uh, that they have in front of them. And so, you know, all throughout the Bible, we won't take time to look at it, but if there's a, a unity problem or if there's a real division in the church problem, the church came together to, to address it. One of the early problems was that the widows were not being taken care of in the church and some were being taken care of. Some of them who were out of town were neglected. The church gathered together and they picked out some people to serve that, solve that problem and, and serve and help them. And, and churches came together when there was a, a, a purity issue or make some of those hard decisions, some of those difficult conversations within the church body. And so, so we're going to see in Acts 15, the best of my knowledge is probably the first church business meeting, if you will, that ever happened. And I want to pack it, not from just, uh, uh, you know, boring, oh my goodness, we're just going to hear about, you know, business stuff. But I want us to see that how this is so important for us as a church body. We're a family together, but together we make the big decisions. So genuinely, you know, this is not a uh, this is not a, a, a autocracy or, you know, a dictatorship or, you know, whoever's pastor, whether it's me or anybody else or the other pastors, that, that we together as a church, as you'll see, we make the big decision. So read with me if you would. In Acts chapter 15, and I'm going we're we're gonna, gonna to refer to almost all the, the chapter, but we're not going to read the whole chapter. So read with me the first few verses and we'll kind of work from there. So the, here's, the, here's the back the backstory. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers. Those were, those were not biological brothers. These were the family of God, people that were followers of Jesus Christ or in a spiritual family, right? If you become a child of God, that means you've got brothers and sisters in God, okay? So these people came down, were teaching the followers of Jesus Christ that unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Now, I assure you, there were some adult men that heard this teaching back then that were like, whoa, I don't want to go to the doctor for that. Like, no, like anything but that. Ladies are probably like, ah, no big deal to me, you know. The guys are probably like, what? What are we talking about? That was a Jewish 
law, Old Testament, that was given as a sign that people were followers of, of, of God. And so there was some confusion about what it really meant to be saved. In verse 2, And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, they were of the camp that said, No, you don't have to be circumcised to be saved, because that's not what the Bible teaches. There were others that were for it, and they were clearly against it. So there was no big small dissension, which was a kind of a nice way of saying, this was a big deal. There was a big debate. This was a problem. So Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. This was a big deal. The whole future, frankly, of the world and salvation hinged on this because if the church got this wrong, not only did they have it wrong, but we, 2,000 years later, would have it wrong. The basic question is, is what does a person need to do in order to be saved from their sins and go to heaven? What does it take? What do you have to do? One of the very most basic questions that the church must answer. And there was a debate. So in verse 3, so being sent out by, uh, on their way, key phrase, by the church. They didn't go of their own authority. They went, the church, in dealing with this, sent them out together, gathered, sent their uh, representatives, if you will, to go deal with this question. And they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria and describing in detail the conversion of all the Gentiles. Big deal. This is the background. If you were a Gentile, you weren't circumcised. If you were a Jew, you were circumcised. You were circumcised because that was a sign that you were of the people that were following God. And by this time, there are lots of people who were not Jewish, didn't grow up Jewish. They were not at all circumcised, not in their culture. And so they were the ones who were at stake. And the Jews were saying, hey, this is good that the Gentiles are now turning their life to Jesus, but it's not enough. they got to become like us, and they need to be circumcised. So it was a, a huge debate. And, but Paul is telling them, hey, look at all these people that God clearly saved. And by the way, none of them were circumcised. We didn't go back. Like, I'm not getting into this ministry of circumcision. I didn't go back to doctor school and learn how to use a scalpel. I'm not dealing with any of that. Paul said, no, God did amazing things in our life. In verse 4, when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed, get it, by the church, not just by the apostles. This was a church-wide meeting. Some of you grew up going to a church where you didn't make any decisions in their church. You just came and sat down on Sunday morning and you participated and you worshipped and you did whatever the church told you to do. This is different. The church was the one receiving these people. The church is going to be making this decision together, and that's why we do this uh, together as a church. And so they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders. So the elders were pastors. Pastors, elders, and bishops all refer to the same people in the Bible. And they declared all that God had done with them. In other words, all that God had done in saving the Gentile people. Clearly, God was doing some amazing things, and he didn't need, they didn't need to become Jews and keep the law and all of those things to be forgiven of their sins. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees, these were people, those of you on Thursday nights know, the Pharisees were the religious leaders. They were their conservative bunch in the Old Testament, and they were there in Jesus' day, and they were strict followers of all of the rules. And some of them became followers of Jesus. But they struggled with their past upbringing to let go of some of that and to just simply hold on to Jesus. Not unlike us, right? Some of you guys grew up with traditions in the church, that when you trusted Jesus, you still like those traditions and those things, and some of those are okay, but these were taking it to the next level, saying, 
Yeah, no, we want to believe in Jesus. This is good, but you still got to do all of that stuff. Still have to keep all of those rules in order to be forgiven. And it is. Ne- and here's what they said. They said it's necessary to circumcise them in order to them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles in verse 6 and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. It doesn't say the church there, but by implication you'll see later on the church is there too. So the church is there with the apostles that under the authority of God, the elders were the, the leaders of that specific church, and they're there to decide this matter. So I want you to notice the first thing this morning. The first thing that that we need to recognize is that whenever we as a church are facing decisions, that we need to consider what God is doing. We need to consider what God is doing as a church in just a little bit. Really, at this point, a few minutes from now, we'll be looking at a budget. We'll be uh, sharing and unpacking those things. You've actually already had it. Uh, If you remember, we received an email earlier this week of all of this information because we wanted you to have time to think about it to be able to ask questions and all of those things. And so we will be making decisions. But what's important for us as a church body is that we need to consider what God is doing in our midst. You see, as a church family, the really the one opinion that matters is not your opinion. It's not my opinion. It's not anybody's opinion in this room. When we're thinking about whether what we should do next year as a church, that's why we do it in December. We're planning ahead of time. What, what ministry should we be doing? What should we be setting aside financially? What should be our priorities be? What's the next stage or whatever we're trying to do as a church? The one opinion that matters is what is God doing? I want you to notice that Paul, or excuse me, another apostle, Paul had already shared that God has spoken. God, Look what God's doing. I, Paul had gone around and shared the gospel with all of these, these Gentile peoples when he would go into a town, he would share the gospel at the local synagogue, and the Jewish people would get upset, and they would run him out, and Paul would say, fine, I shared it with you. I'm going to share it now with the Gentiles. They would hear it. They'd be excited, and they would want to know Jesus because they saw the truth. They saw the amazing things that he would do in their life, and they responded. And so churches would get started everywhere Paul went. And so Paul was sharing them what God was up to. When you and I think about what our church should be doing, We should have an eye to be saying, what is God doing in our community? What is God doing in our midst? What is is God up to in our world? Those are the things that we need to think about as we we decide on where we're going and what our future is all about. Now, if you look at verse 7, the Bible goes on. Peter explains even more. Peter stands up in verse 7, after there had been much debate. I don't know. We don't know if they took a coffee break. If they adjourned for lunch, you know, if there was a leader with a gavel, okay, we're going to break for lunch. We don't know, but lots of people were talking. Lots of people are debating. All of this is going on. And then Peter stands up and he says, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you. God made this choice. We didn't do this. God did this. This is what God is doing. He made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. If you know the Bible, you'll remember the story where Peter was up on that rooftop and God told him to eat all of these unclean animals that were against the Jewish law. And he's like, I've never done that. I never would. And God said, what's your problem, Peter? I've called these things clean. Why are you calling them unclean? Everything is good to go because of it. we can eat lobster and all kinds of stuff. We can eat stuff you wouldn't want to. Grasshoppers and ants and all kinds of worms, all of that. Like eat any of it. It's fair game. 
I'm not interested. I'll leave that for you for your Christmas dinner. I'm just probably going to do like whatever, whatever. What do we usually do? Like a roast, I guess. So Peter goes on and he said, And God in verse 8, who knows my heart, bore witness to them. God did this by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. When Cornelius was that first Gentile that believed in his family, the Bible says the Holy Spirit came upon them, and evidence of that, they spoke in tongues. By the way, today, that was, that was just to demonstrate that God supernaturally did something in their life. They spoke in other languages. Today, we don't have that visible thing, not in the exact same way. And, and so Peter said, look, God clearly did this. And why, in verse 10, are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. So as they're debating this thing, what Peter is doing, what Paul is doing, saying, guys, as we make this decision, let's step back and see what God is doing. God clearly saved these people, and they did not have to follow any of the laws whatsoever. Here's the thing. When you're trying to make a decision, in your life, about what you should be doing. This doesn't just apply to us as a church. Oh, that's the example we're talking about here, but let's bring it to your life. When you're considering about you, specifically your life, you need to step back and ask your question, what do I see God clearly doing in my world? Before I make this decision, what is going on? God, what are you up to? God, help me to see. Give me the eyes to see what you're doing in my family, in my, my, my uh, workplace, what, what's going on? God, I want to see where your hand is at work. See, too often, you and I, when we make decisions, what do I like? What do I want? What's going to make me happy? What's going to make my life easier? What's going to suit my needs? And that's not the place to start. When you and I start with that in mind, we always end up in the wrong place. That's like starting out lost. When you start out lost, you stay lost. When you start out with the wrong question, you don't get the right answer to begin with. And so there's a subtle thing in here, and a reminder to you and me is that life for us is not about us. It's about what is God doing in our world? What is God doing in our family? What do we see God doing? And that's what we should respond to. We should respond to the hand of God in our lives. So you as a family, as you think about those decisions, if it's, if it's you and yourself making those decisions, or if it's you collectively as a family, take a step back and consider what the hand of God is doing. What is at work? What are the opportunities? What's in front of you as you make those decisions? Now here's a real check, and be careful with this. That's a very subjective thing. I've had people tell me, not truly not thinking of anybody here, so if something comes to your mind, I'm not thinking of any of you, but you know, in days gone by, well, Sean, I prayed about it, and, they, and they're wanting to make a decision that I know is not what the Bible says. In fact, it's opposite of what the Bible says, and I'm like, you may have prayed about it, but God did not give you an answer. You came up with the answer you wanted to hear, and you just are using prayer as a smokescreen to do whatever you want to do. You see, all of that is subjective. But I want you to notice something significant here. They not only thought about what God was doing, they also thought about what God said. The test for whether or not we're seeing what God is doing is genuine is to then go and measure that up against to what God said. The Bible says in verse 12, all the assembly fell quiet 
and they listened to Barnabas and Paul. Imagine the this was before meetings with Robert's Rules of Order and all of the all of the rules that Congress and everybody goes by and businesses or you know churches these kinds of meetings. There was been all kinds of talking, and everybody got quiet and listened to Paul and Barnabas. And then in the middle of that. In verse 13, after they finished speaking, James, who was another leader in the church, these are the big dogs, Paul and Peter and James, he replied, he said, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon, which is Peter, has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. And then he goes on and he quotes the Old Testament. Notice what James is doing. He's saying, guys, not only did God demonstrate what he's doing, but here's what the Bible says. This agrees. We're viewing this properly because this is what the Bible told us to do. And he goes and he quotes. These words are written. You see, when God speaks, he speaks in the past, and those words still resound as truth into your world today. Some will look at the Bible and like, well, that's such an old book and it's so dusty. And it's like, to God, it's not. God's eternal. He has no beginning and no end. When He speaks, He doesn't speak things that are just temporary. You and I do all the time. If you're a football fan, have you ever noticed all the ridiculous predictions that come out and all the things? It drives me crazy. I, like, I pay attention a little bit to the teams. Not, not really crazy. I don't play fantasy football or any of that. I don't have enough time for any of that. But already I saw like two weeks into the season making predictions about who is going to draft whom in the in next year's draft. I'm like, we haven't even hardly started the season. It's so stupid. What in the world? Like, it dawned on me that football is like, like, like uh, middle schoolers, drama, you know, like what's going on? And I'm like, these guys act all tough. And I'm just like, you guys just need to get a life thinking... Their words are falling short. God's words never fall down. They resonate. The true the day He said them, and they're true for all of eternity. And so it says, it's written, and it's go, we go by it today, is what James is saying. And you and I today look back 2,000 years from then, and we say, guys, here's what God says. See, here's the thing. If you're trying to make a decision in your life, you want to know how to honor God, you want God's blessing in your life, you don't want to mess up where you're going and you're making decisions, all kinds of decisions. I don't care just about whether I, who you marry, where you go to church, where you go to work, where you live, what you're going to do, where you're going to spend your money, how, what are the ministries, the things you're going to be involved in. What matters is what is God doing in your life and does it line up with the Word of God? And when those two things are in alignment, then you have confidence and you move forward. That's what they're looking at when they make these decisions. They move forward because God clearly wanted people to be saved. God clearly wants by His grace, and His grace alone is by the method through which that we come to know Jesus. Look what verse 11 says. I, I went by that verse, and I really don't, we should not, because this is really the key verse in the whole chapter. Paul said this, he said, We believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. You see, you and I are forgiven of our sins, and we go to heaven, and not hell when we die, and we have a relationship with God as our Father, simply because of His grace, period. 
because of what God did. There's nothing else in this mathematical equation. There's no other ingredient that needs to be put into the cake batter to make this thing, this thing called salvation turn out right. There's no other variable to be introduced except the grace of God. You see, the only thing that you and I can look back to and look toward that you and I, we have a relationship with, with Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord, we don't look to anything that we've done. We just simply say, God, your grace is the only thing that's responsible. And in that is our gratitude, and in that is our thanksgiving. You see, grace is God just loving us, even when we didn't deserve it. It's something that starts in the heart of God and comes to us, and He reaches down and He saves us. We talk a lot about faith, or what we talk to help us really understand what faith is, like surrendering faith, surrendering our life to Jesus. Truth of the matter is, is God just by His grace saves us and we respond in faith. That's the vehicle, if you will, that brings it to us. And the result of that is a changed life, a life of obedience. That's what the Christian life's all about. But it's only by grace that we are forgiven of our sin. No other religious rules, no other check the boxes, no other religious duties. God is not like a college professor that first day of class gives you a syllabus that you have to do all of these things to get your 100A+. It's only by His grace, what He has done, that He saves us. Only by that. So the first thing is that we need to recognize is, is that what matters when making our decisions of what God is doing, and the test of that is what does God say. The second thing I want you to notice is that leaders lead, but churches decide. Leaders lead, but churches decide. Did you notice that, that James stood up? Paul stood up and shared? Peter stood up and shared? And after James finished sharing that reading, quoting that verse, look what he says in verse 19. He says, Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols, and from sexual immorality, God really does, since He made this world, He governs over everything, and that is our sexual identity, is our sexual expression, all of that. And, and here's the third thing, and from what, uh, refrain yourself from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses has in every city those who proclaim Him, for He is read in every Sabbath in the synagogues. James said, here's my judgment. This is my decision for me, and I'm making it clear to everybody here, this is what we should do. And look what the Bible says. James led, he spoke out, made clear what he thought the right decision was. And in verse 22, the Bible says this, Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders, those are the pastors, with the whole church, to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. And the Bible goes on, tells them the people they sent, and they sent this letter straightening out this whole mess. James stood up and led. He said, guys, here's what I think we should do. It's grounded in Scripture. This is my judgment. This is what we should do. But the church together agreed and made that decision. You see... The model that we see in the Bible is, is that leaders should lead. God calls overseers, pastors, elders to lead in the church. 
Their responsibility is to day in and day out is to lead the congregation of God. It was a big reason why we, we wanted more than just one pastor of a church. It's healthier, it's stronger, it's healthier for him and his family, it's healthier for the church. Weird things tend to happen when you have one person who's responsible and everybody else, you know. It's just weird, and most churches don't do that. That's why some churches have elders on the side. Some churches that don't have elders, the deacons function like elders, and there can be some strange things that can happen between the pastors and either of those bodies. And at River, we just said, you know what, we're going to have multiple pastors, and we're going to lead, and they're going to be accountable to one another. We also have a team that they're accountable to, the personnel team, and I won't dial in too deep into that. But as a church, we distill together decide the big things. Like we just don't have permission to go and make all the big stuff, like where we spend our money, whether or not we, you know, we buy a, a new building or do things where we're going overall as a church. All of those things, even when we were laying out, uh, those of you that were here four or five years ago, when we were laying out kind of our 2020 vision and all of those things, we... We discussed those and presented those, and, and the pastors in lead day in and day out with all of those decisions. That's why this past year when we brought before you, our desire was to give $25,000, $50,000 away is what we ended up doing uh, to uh, Pastor Seth Switzer to Monticello, even though we still, you know, I don't know what we owe, 180 on our building, Dan, Buffball Park. If Dan says it's good enough, then it's good enough. So... You know, we still owe money on that. We said, guys, let's give that away. That was the church's decision. That's why when we bring pastors on board, it's the church's decision. It's not ours. Churches should be led by pastors, but their big decisions are by the church. That's why as, as a church, what we will say is that we are a pastor-led church. Honor Christ, honor God, right? Pastor-led Congregation decided, we make the big decisions as a church body. We are deacon served. And we'll, I'm going to unpack for you in a little bit that we're next, next year we're going to go through a deacon election process where at that time as a church we developed, we think it's time for that. The deacon's job is not to lead the church. The deacon's job is to serve the needs of the church. And we're also team empowered. So pastor led, church, congregation decided, deacon served, and team empowered, we entrust a lot of authority and a lot of flexibility for teams. In fact, when you get the budget, pastors didn't sit down and say, what are we going to put all the money to? We went to all of our team leaders and said, what do you need to do? The ministry that's in front of you next year, what do you need? And we looked at it and said, that fits as a whole, and we're presenting it to the church to decide on, and then those teams will actually decide how that works and where they get spent in all of it. And that's how we function as a church. Third thing, and then I'm going to unpack a little bit more for you what all this means for us, is not only do, not only do we need as a church to decide, to consider what God's doing and what He says, not only should we be led by pastors, but we decide the big stuff as a church. But when meetings go well and churches are led this way, churches are blessed. Churches thrive when we do this. We won't take time to read the letter and all the details, but let me just read these last few verses and make a, just an observation to you. So when they were sent off, so Paul and Barnabas, they, they read this letter, and they went down to Antioch, another place where this whole thing began to get all stirred up. And they went to Antioch, having gathered the congregation together, and they delivered the letter, the letter with all these instructions that James just talked about. And when they had read it, they rejoiced, talking about the church, the church rejoiced because of its encouragement. They were encouraged. 
Aren't you encouraged when there's conflict and confusion and you don't know what to do? Aren't you discouraged, I mean? And then when you finally it becomes clear, isn't that just, ah, oh, okay, now I know what's supposed to be going on. They were encouraged. And Judas and Silas, who are themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. Notice these words. They were encouraged, they were strengthened, and after they had spent some time, they were sent away off in peace. Not turmoil, not conflict, not division, but peace. They were sent off in peace. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. You know what that's saying? That's saying the church thrived because that meeting went well. And they made decisions that honored God and they handled it well. You see, when we as a church make good decisions, when our meetings go well, it ultimately it brings unity in the church, it brings clarity in our future, it empowers future ministry, and enables the church to go on and accomplish all that it should do. All of this applies to our lives too. When you and I seek God's face and look at what God's doing in our life with our decisions and how to invest in our life year by year and as we go into the new year, you ought to take a moment. God, what do you have in front of me this year? God, I don't want to assume that this year coming up is the same as last year for me and for my family. You ought to ask God that and you ought to consider that. You ought to consider what God's Word says. It was a no-brainer for us to give $50,000 to Restoration Church. Why? Because God shows us in the Bible He wants people to be saved and to start churches. Why wouldn't we do it? Why wouldn't we think it's for us? The Bible overall says if you have it, give it. And you know it's more blessed to give than receive. And so we did that. And so we made big decisions based on that, and you should too as a, as, a, as a family as well. And then you should lead. Moms and dads, you should, you should lead in that home and not be afraid and hesitant, but lead well and, and work that out. And then on the back end of it, and when you do those things well, blessing comes in your life. Blessing comes into your family. Blessing comes into your life, comes into your individual relationships. And it comes through us as a church, and God kind of settles in on us. And that's what we want as a church. So I said all that to say this. I'm going to see what time I've got behind the poinsettias. You didn't know, but we do have a clock up here, because I've discovered over the years I've gotten long-winded to your... Um, anyway, I have no desire to do that. But anyway, I've got, I've got like five minutes before I wrap this up. So let me tell you what all that means for in a few minutes. Let me tell you about what we want to do next year. When you get a budget, you're going to see some basic line items. And they don't say a whole lot in it, not a lot of color in it. It's like, okay, don't know. I mean, let's be honest, we're going to pay the lights. We're going to pay the insurance. We're going to pay the pick the trash up because I really just don't want the trash piling up around here. We're playing, paying to have the the, the driveway plowed, all of those things. We pay, we, you'll see in the budget, our missions line item. We're continuing to give 12% of our, our, what we receive as a church body, in other words, what we all give uh, together. 12% of that we send automatically right out the door. We're trying to every month do that, show videos of that and talk a little bit about that. We've not done with, well with that in the past, but we give to like Capital City Rescue Mission. We give to Gideons. We give to International Mission Board so the gospel can go around the world. We give to church planning like we give every month for Sean Nolan down in Albany to help that church get started. Uh, we we want to be that kind of church. 
But there's some new things that we're trying to do as a church. You heard a little bit about the youth. I'm so excited that they can go to twice a month. I think that's fantastic. I'm so grateful for that. We're wanted to, at the, early this year, we want to go through a deacon election process. If you were here several years ago when it was just, I was the only pastor at church, and we sat down and realized, like, we've got to really kind of rebuild things and help our church get where it's needed. We knew we needed pastors. We didn't have any. And so we went through that process. We ended up actually having to go through it twice because Jeremy, uh, who was here before Steve, left. And then we also told you at that time, Simba, we think the second step is, is going to be going from pastors, but also multiple pastors, but also having more ministry leaders. Well, we've done that. There's more ministry leaders now that are involved in shouldering those responsibilities. And then we said the third step is going to be having, our, having deacons to be able to support people and ministries and all of that. And so we're at that point. We've been sitting on this for months, but come January, I think it's like January, February, we're going to do a, a three-week teaching series on it. We're going to unfold much like the pastor selection process. We're going to unfold all of that process, talk about what that means, pray about that. Excited because... Churches that thrive need people who are gifted and, uh, and have the heart and the ability and empowered to serve to the needs of the church body. Next year, we're also looking at having two outdoor services, not because of COVID. We just think it's fun to do. So regardless of what COVID does, we want to go outside in the spring and the fall. It's too hot in the summer on the pavement, right? So like early in the year and then late in the year before winter comes in, we want to do a big outdoor service, each of those to invite people. We're also wanting to kick the tires on some kids' ministry. And part of it, we're kicked around some, you know, churches typically will do summer things for the kids. And before we, you know, we do that, we want to maybe kick the tires and do a kids' thing on the tail end of those two events. Make it a little bit bigger that people can invite. In fact, we're really hoping if we continue to build and add to this, the one in the spring, that in the fall, we want it so big, we want to rent a tent. Like, we want this to be a big thing and, you know, lunch and, and all of that. And we just want to build so that people can in, invite and be comfortable and we can enjoy together as a, as a church family. Also, it's been a big concern of mine for, for years, honestly, a struggle. When I became pastor at River, I just, God, what, what do you want to do? How are we going to reach people with the gospel? And I just felt like the only thing that God the Holy Spirit spoke to me through that, just impressed upon me, was just through relationships. And frankly, you look back, that's how people have trusted Christ in our church. It's not because we've had some incredible silver bullet ministry that we do. It's people that you know, that you meet, and that you share with, and you live your life with that God uses. And we're going to continue to see that. But along the way, how do you create opportunities for those relationships to have? You, you have them naturally. You have the connections with your work and neighbors and friends and all of that. But it's also helpful for churches to have you know, little little niches, little things, like come and see events like we're doing, like the, the football. I know it was, was a turkey bowl, but I think it needs to be turkey mud bowl. I think we need one more descriptor in there. You know, we're just kind of, if they don't, if it's not a wet year, we might need to ask the fire department to host how I sent it down. You know, they can practice there or something with their putting out fires. Anyway, you know, those kinds of events to make those connectors. But there's another one that we're looking at on top of that, that I've thought about for two or three years. To be honest with you, I've hesitated to bring forward for two reasons. I didn't think we were ready for it as a church. But secondly, it's kind of a niche thing that I like to do. And to be honest with you, I'm, I try to be careful. Just because I like something doesn't mean we should do it. It doesn't mean the church should do it and all of that. But we want to kick the tires on a, a ministry this year um, with, for kids trying to build segues 
for build a bridge for families that are out there, but through archery. And there's uh, archery clubs. Archery is one of the fastest growing sports around. And, um, and some of you are like, yeah, that would be your thing, Sean, of course. I know it is. That's why I'm little. God may not be in it. We, just, we do most ministry. You haven't noticed this. We'll try little things. Rather than to go big and do it all at once, we would rather dip our toe in the water and kind of let it build and grow and to see where it goes. But um, most ministries we've struggled with, like our church did baseball clinics years ago for the town. And the town actually began doing it. The, the, the little leagues took it over, and they started doing it instead of us. Like, we, we just can't compete with everything, that, whether it's the library, the, the Y, the sports league. Like, we just got nothing that would even attract. But what I've noticed is nobody's doing anything in archery. And what especially appeals to me, it's boys and girls. And by the way, it can go all the way up. I could, I honestly would be even surprised there'd be some seniors that would like to have, like, come in and just practice with these things. Do it in the wintertime. It's cheap. But you don't have to be sports athletic. You can even, it just doesn't even have to be a team thing. Like, and it's not like baseball. Like, only one person's got the ball at a time. When you have a bunch of kids and they've got their arrows, they've got the ball every time. And so it's discipline, it's confidence building, all of that stuff. But that's in a ministry, if God is in it, that we could advertise that people would be interested in that wouldn't even know the church. You know what I mean? Like there's a lot of things. If you invite families, hey, come to our Sunday school kids program on Sunday morning, the average person is not going to come to that unless they are new to the area and want to go to church. That's the ones that are going to be interested in. We're trying to reach people that don't go to church, that aren't interested, and to build platforms for those relationships connections. So is God in all that? I don't know. Maybe. But we want to test the waters a little bit that this year. Um, we also want to do, you'll see if you've gotten emails and members, we, would, we really want to move forward with these building additions, guys. We were going to do that two years ago when COVID hit. Couldn't do it got expensive, um, and we've got plans out there. This is the first time we've put them out there. We've had these for quite a while, not because we've been hiding them. What we were trying to do is to get bids on them so that we could say, hey, here's what it would cost to actually build that, because we didn't want to put something out that is $500,000, because to be honest with you, we're not putting an addition on the church for $500,000. I didn't know how much it would cost. We still don't. So we want you to look at the additions, and our desire is to have a good space out back that we can have a, a, a little bit bigger office space and a meeting space with storage and give us a legitimate lobby that, that would add up there with a, you know, in, uh, relationally or relatively inexpensive, you know, for our footprint that we could ultimately have a couple hundred people in our building that we could minister to on a, on a regular basis. If you remember before COVID, we were beginning to hit 150 in here, and we couldn't fit anymore. Like People were jammed and all that. COVID changed all of that. We will continue to grow and build again, but we would, like, we would really like to build this year. So I don't have bids for you, but I, this meeting, we want you to see that, and it's appropriate for us to talk about those kinds of things. Um, there's other stuff in there. Ladies ministry, you guys probably already figuring out. Ladies, you know that you've got your whole app going. You're going to have more activities, all of that. So that's a little bit of behind the scenes of what's new behind the budget and what we're going to talk about. And I wanted to kind of share with you those things, much like what we just saw the Bible demonstrate for us.
So let me kind of wind this down. What do you need to go home with? More than, oh, well, that's some cool ideas, Sean, for the church. I'm excited about the church. I hope you're interested and excited and weigh in and speak into all of that. And we as a church just want to hear what God is doing you know, for us and what we should be doing in relation to Him. But go back to what I talked about earlier. What decisions do you have in front of you right now that you're considering? And what do you see God doing in your life as you make those decisions? That may be a little difficult to see, but I've learned this over the years. If you are honest with, your, with God and honest with yourself and say, God, I really want to hear from you, God sometimes, in fact, very often will let you sit there because God's not a... He's not Google that you just look up something and get it. He's not a gumball machine you put your quarter in or probably dollar bill in. I don't know the last time I put anything in or soda machine. You know, you put your credit card into the soda machine and five dollars for your. He's just just something. He's not automatic. He does it not to be a jerk. He does it because he's teaching you discipline to make it about him and to listen to him and not to make your life just make him like one of the things that you're, you know, just hurry up, let me get next in line. He doesn't have the speed, you know, lane at Walmart where you expect to just be that next person. He wants you to pay attention and listen. So maybe in your decisions you need to slow up and ask God, I want to hear, I want to see what you're doing. Help me to see that. God, would you show me in your word? Help me to have some confirmation in those things. Maybe that is what you needed to hear this morning. Maybe you're in the middle of conflict and you've not handled those things well. We just saw as a church how to handle that. People come together, they talk it through, they look what the Bible says, and when they take those, make those decisions, and whatever those mean, because this is about relationships. It wasn't just about, you know, what do we do or not. These were people who were disagreeing, and they knew names and knew where they lived, and they you know, in relationship with one another. But when they listened to what God said and they surrendered to what God was doing, that's when God brought clarity and unity and strength and blessing in their life. So maybe you're in something where you're struggling to make those decisions and to do just what God says. And maybe you've just been thinking about it from your perspective. I want this and I want that and I'm offended by this and I'm bothered by that. Maybe you need to step back and say, God, well, what does your word say about me, about my life, and about my actions? And whatever you see in there that's out of alignment, you deal with that. And allow the blessing of God, the results of God, to settle in on your life that you can't control. So maybe there's something in there that you need to respond about this morning. That's what I want you to focus on. So pray with me, would you, as our team comes up and we finish our song. Father, thank you for the Lord Jesus who loves us and saves us. Father, thank you that even in this quote-unquote church business meeting, that we see how to handle these things, that they share with us, not just as a church, but our own life personally. And Lord, I'm so grateful that we are saved simply by your grace and nothing else. Not one thing we add to that. It's simply your love for us as sinful people.
and that the faith that we exercise is not even really something we do. It's just we believe in that grace, and as a result, we reap the benefits. We receive forgiveness and salvation and a new life with you. Father, sometimes we as people try to make it more than that. We feel like we should earn it. We feel like we should pay for it. And God, it's humbling and it's hard to just truly step back and accept that somebody else has paid for it. So Lord, I pray for those this morning that need to just simply, in their heart, to allow that Jesus has paid for it all. And there's nothing they need to do. Lord, would that become clear in every person's heart here this morning, I pray in Jesus' name.